So, my wife is handing out some things that are going to be helpful for you after this is over and maybe even while we are doing this. Um, this is kind of based upon one of a few different resources, but primarily this book here by Frank Seekins, and it's called Hebrew Word Pictures. So just to kind of give you an idea of where this is coming from, there are other people out there that, are t that talk about this, but, um, yeah, I shouldn't need one. But nonetheless, um, it's basically the same. You can't change what it is. It is what it is. It's kind of like I keep thinking I need to change up my Dinosaur's Ice Age pre-flood message. It's like, well, what can you change? It is what it is. I mean, you can't change what truth is. And so... I just find this fascinating, and I don't want to take, you know, too much time outside of just tonight to show you the power of the Hebrew language. So anyway, this is a video of somatics. Uh, when I take and do science camps, I take this uh, kind of like a speaker underneath it. There's a steel plate on top, and I can just sprinkle salt or sand on it and this is what happens when you do the the sprinkling on this is like real time here Some of them look like plant cells, the back of a turtle, all kinds of things. Now, by the way, I can't hear anything anymore. I don't know if you guys can. Oh, no. Yeah. So, there are just all kinds of neat things about this. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating is some of the people who did research on this in the 70s, some, like, it does change slightly on, like, the shape of the, the plate that you stick it on. But 
like you can do a round or whatever. Some of them appear like the Hebrew, some Hebrew letters, like the sheen, and the, kind of like a W type thing. And it's just kind of fascinating to me totally. what sound does. Um, there's a power in it that we don't really understand completely. Uh, another example would be this guy here. He did what is called sonic bloom. Now, this is for your uh, next garden club meeting. This is my contribution. Yeah, yeah. If you have speakers, you should probably be playing music in your greenhouses because there have been lots of studies showing that sound affects the growth of the plants. This guy holds the world's record for a number of different plants. I don't even remember what the names of them were. But one of the things, he, he's kind of capitalized on it by basically selling speakers that play a sound but also a fertilizer. Well, you can do this yourself. It isn't anything magical, at least on our end of it. But when you play certain sounds, certain frequencies, the stomata on the plant opens up and then the fertilizer will be taken in by the plant faster. And so what's fascinating to me about this is when you look at it from a creation perspective, when is the dew on the plants? In the morning. When are the birds chirping the most? In the morning. And how God's creation works so symbiotically together, it's absolutely incredible. That God has created that the sounds, that the frequencies that are best are in that bird chirping range. And so we see that God has created that so that the birds chirping are actually helping your garden. Okay, all of those songbirds, all of that kind of stuff. Now, just to kind of share a little bit more here, you might remember Mythbusters. Mythbusters did some things with uh, pea plants. And just I'll show you what they did here. Does talking to plants help them grow? So this is the classical music. Classical music. Turns out, not as well as playing them music. Wow! Dude! Right? Those look like very healthy plants. <laughs> They're blah. All I hear is blah, blah. Number seven. The Metal House was the best performer of all. How many peat buds? But in both music houses, the plants were healthier, taller, and had the biggest peas. My God, metal is huge. These plants are enormous compared to everything else. I think, I think heavy metal rolls. I think heavy metal. Totally so we always hear, you know, classical music, rock and roll kills them. Mythbusters showed it actually did much better than all the rest. Makes sense. Now, I don't believe it's because of the words that are being used, but the frequencies that are in the music, okay? So, but anyway, there's so much stuff out there that just blows me away with sound. Things like uh, parenting, that if you listen to music, breast milk production is increased. Cow milk, I, I think this is kind of a gimmick, but it's interesting. There's quite a hustle and bustle at the Thomashof in Borscheid. The dairy cows peer around inquiringly and seem to be thinking, what's that lady in the evening dress and what's that gentleman with the cello doing in our stable? Obviously, these cows have not yet heard about the experiment conducted by scientists at the University of Leicester. They demonstrated that the milk production of dairy cattle is boosted when the cows are allowed to listen to classical music. 
As experts are well aware, a happy cow will produce more milk. We create an environment that is meant to increase the outputs and the well-being of the cows. The expression coined for this is cow comfort. I must say, I do find the idea a bit crazy, but cows that are very calm, which may perhaps be stimulated slightly by music, can probably translate that into milk production. Not only the farmer looks forward to more milk, the Dortmund Concert Hall and the advertising agency Jung von Matterbe are also hoping to attract attention. The creative minds from Hamburg came up with the idea of playing the highlights of the forthcoming Dortmund concert season to cows for a commercial. The milk produced by the cows will then be available in the concert hall under the brand label Dortmund Concert Milk. As a special highlight, each bottle will give details of which artists the cows listen to in order to produce that particular milk. What makes this campaign rather special is that the Dortmund Concert Hall has the slogan Experiencing music as you've never experienced it before. This is about the special acoustics of the concert hall and the exclusive musicians, which make it a very special musical experience. So we thought, why not let people experience music in a completely new way? Let them taste it. The musicians won't come to the stables every day, of course. In future, the cows will listen to recorded music to produce milk in various different flavors, such as Ivan Fischer, Philippe Jaruski, and Mitsuko Uchida. I found the idea really fun from the start, and very good too. The idea of producing a film at the end of which there would be a product that you could physically hold in your hands and give people to take away with them, be it sponsors, members of the press, or selected visitors, to actually produce milk, it's fantastic. Now it's up to the concert goers to develop a palette that is as refined as their taste in music, so as to appreciate the difference between individual artists. But if they don't manage to do that, at least they can comfort themselves with the knowledge that the happy cows have enjoyed it. You get the point. You're going to buy milk based on the, you know, taste different things. I don't know if that's going to be true or not, but it's interesting. Okay. <laughs> You're calling bull. <laughs> yeah, bulls don't give milk. <laughs> so... So anyway, it, it, the point that I want to make is the power of sound. Um, we look at Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. There is a, a power in our words. We have death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and his temple in his temple all cry glory. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Um, but if it's the, by the finger of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you. That God cast out demons by his word. Um, so many things along the same line, Psalm 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, that God created things by the work of his fingers. Well, we know how he created things. It was by the spoken word. Okay? Um, Isaiah 55.11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, 
but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Um, I mean, I can go on and on here with verses that will talk about this. Now, I don't want to get that pendulum swinging too far one direction. I think that today we have maybe uh, a tendency to take this too far about, you know, maybe saying, uh, speaking things into existence. But on the other hand, we've taken it too far the other way, basically saying our words don't matter. That there is truth to this, that words are powerful. And what I like to show people uh, about this is just to make it almost tangible how God could create things using the power of his word. That he would be able to say, you know, and shape is coming about because of these different tones, whatever it is, and just boom, shape happens. Whether it be genetics in your DNA, I don't know. Now, I'm not saying that's how it happened, but to me, it, it puts it to more of a tangible way when I say God created by his word. Now, again, that pendulum has swung into the new age. We hear this a lot. The new age takes this, and we can see that you can buy in especially kind of these new age type stores, DVDs or download music that has certain frequencies that will have DNA curing or fixing uh, music. That if you listen to this music, it's got certain frequencies and it's supposed to heal your DNA. Okay, things like that. So it's out there. I believe that is because the devil loves to take something truthful and twist it and make it, you know, silly. But nonetheless, I think there's something there that... I don't know if I've said this before. I, I say it all the time when speaking, so I forgive me if I've told you this before. But maybe stop me if I've told you this before, but everything is made up of atoms. This cup is made up of atoms. A rock is made up of atoms. Atoms are made up of electrons, protons, neutrons. Inside there we have quarks, and what we have going on in there is movement. Movement is energy. So if you have energy in a rock, that is absolutely 100% scientific truth. Now, New Age has run up, you know, crystals and the energy in crystals and let's hold them and let's wear them and let's, you know, put them in our baby's diapers, whatever. I don't know. Bottom line is we do all kinds of dumb stuff with it. That's not what the Bible is talking about. And that's, that's New Age voodoo. But there is truth that there is energy in Iraq. Okay, I'm going to put this in a biblical perspective for you. If that's energy, where did it come from and what is it? Well, you go all the way back to Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on and it says in verse 3, the earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hover is literally a back and forth energizing movement. Like an eagle fluttering over its nest, hovering over its nest. So the Spirit of God was hovering over all of the waters before creation. I kind of see that as an energizing force to the world. So imagine for a moment if all of the atoms in this cup all of a sudden lost their energy. If the 
movement in those atoms stopped, what would happen to my cup? I kind of picture it as almost like just going to dust in my hand. The problem is, is what is dust made up of? Atoms. I think what would happen is what Second Peter tells us. That when the Lord comes back, he's going to pull his spirit from this earth. And what happens? It says everything will go away with a great noise. So the Big Bang hasn't happened, folks. It's coming. Three, I believe. Second Peter 3. King James says with a great noise. Some say melt away with fervent heat. I think chapter 3. I might be thinking of the flood. It's there. You'll see. Isn't that, isn't that the basis of string theory that the smallest building block is a string that vibrates and moves in different ways? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That movement. So what is that movement? Well, Hebrews and Colossians, and I'm terrible at giving you the exact address, but Hebrews, I think chapter 1, verse 3 maybe, says, I might be thinking of John, but anyway, Hebrews says that all things, he sustains all things or holds all things together. Colossians says that as well. One of them says hold all things together. The other one says he sustains all things. In other words, God is the one who is even holding my cup together. That it's his energizing, powerful spirit that fills this universe, omnipresent. I mean, you want to understand omnipresence, that's another, to me, a tangible way to grasp that. Everywhere where there's atoms, the spirit of God is there. Okay? So, I just find that fascinating the movement, the energizing force holding us together. That there's so much more to this world than we understand. That even the invisible things that are not seen, we talked about that in Hebrews, God is in control of. And we just don't know much. But it's also kind of fascinating, I don't know if there, I'm not going to take this very far. You see Da Vinci's notes up top. Um, very similar to what we can see in patterns of cymatics. We see uh, the back of a turtle, and here are some cymatics, shapes, next to the turtle. Different things like that. So, what all that means for sure, I don't know. What's that? that yeah, I think, yeah, God is cool, but I think even more so, there's something in the spoken word of God that arranges that somehow. Now, I say all of that to say this, <laughs> to start, <laughs> believe it or not. The Hebrew alphabet, what we have today, doesn't look the same as what it used to. Uh, did you have an extra one, actually, Tara? I will take one because I don't know what's on your sheet so that I can refer to that. So you can see that today, the very first one, under what looks like book, that's what it looks like today. So the Aleph looks kind of like a little X. But when King David was around, up to the time of Babylon, really, they used what was called, what we call today, Paleo-Hebrew. Same alphabet, they just wrote the letters differently. And 
you can kind of see in Paleo Hebrew, uh, it's more of kind of what Rashi, under what would be said Rashi there. I don't like the pictures here as much, but you have up here on my slide, it's the one on the right. It was pictured as an ox head. And so at the time of David, they all knew that the letter Aleph was an ox. The one on the far right or the one in the middle? Uh, the picture on the far right, so just to the left of the word ox. There's kind of... I don't know if one's like a cursive type or, or how they do that, but one or the other. I'm not 100% sure on that, Jordan, now that I look at it because I don't know my paleo letters. I know the modern Hebrew, but it's one of those two. But bottom line is that we see that every letter of the alphabet gets a picture. Bait, the second letter, B, is pictured as a house. Now, give you an idea of even where these letters come from. Today, in modern Hebrew even, the word for house is bet. The exact name of the letter B. So when we say the word Bethlehem, that's bet lechem. House, bet, lechem, bread. House of bread. Okay, so Aleph is like first. Then you get, and it just kind of goes on down, uh, D, Dalet. The word in modern Hebrew today for door is Dalet. And we see that the picture for the letter D is door. So there are these connections. No, they, they write out Dalet, D-A-L-E-T. So in, in Hebrew, you have three letters for the word door. It's like a D, an L, and a T. All I want you to do for now is if you even look up here at those letters, you have the letter A is a picture of an ox. That's how they've always viewed it. The letter B is a picture of a house. G, Gemel, is a picture of a camel. D is a picture of a door. In modern Hebrew, the, letter D, the, the word for door today is Dalet. The same exact word of the letter D. So I'm just kind of laying a foundation here, and then we're going to kind of explain a little bit more what, how this comes together. Every letter also has a meaning. I'm not going to go through each one of these letters. You've got them on your sheet there, but... Each one has a meaning. So, for the word Aleph, if you see that letter, it means, first, a leader, strong, or authority. It'll mean one of those words. Okay? That's all you need to know at this point. The, the word house, or letter B, bet, pictured as a house, will mean household, in, or into, or family. So for example, um, 
the word in Hebrew for day is yom. If I say bayom, put the letter B in front of it, it means in the day of. Or in one word you'd say when. So bayom. Anytime you see that word, a word, starting with just the letter B and then the word, it means in and then that word. Okay, so that, that's even in modern Hebrew. So, with that said, I'm going to just show you that when they name things, when they put words together to name stuff, it wasn't just, oh, let's call it a deer. You know, oh, let's go with an ox. Uh, cat. Dog. And then by the end of the day, he was getting tired. Right, well, I guess I flipped that around. I heard com some comedian talking about hippopotamus, elephant, and then at the end of the day, he got tired and said, cat, dog. He shortened him up. That's not how it worked. When Adam was naming the animals, he was examining these things, looking at the characteristic of it, examining the creation. And as he examined the creation, he was seeing God's qualities, his power, his nature, and would name those animals based on uh, some of the characteristics that it had. What I want you to see, though, is Romans 1 says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been made so that men are without excuse. <coughs> By examining God's creation today, you know, uh, Bill Nye said that the more you move towards science, the more you move away from God. I disagree 100%. I would say the more you move towards evolution, the more you move away from God. But the more you move towards science, true science, the more actually you are amazed at God. Because through looking at what he has made, you see his power qualities in nature, and it blows you away. I think that's what Adam was doing when he named the animals. He was building a relationship, getting to know God by looking at his creation and going, wow, and would name it and think about it. That's one reason why a lot of times the, the Hebrews would not name their babies right away. They kind of would wait. Sometimes they would name them after, you know, parents or whatever. But bottom line is they would look at characteristics. I'm not going to go through it tonight because I don't have time. But uh, one of my old newsletters um, I talked about uh, in Genesis 5 uh, and also in Revelation is it chapter 5? In Revelation chapter 5 and in Genesis, we see the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they give the gospel. If you take the names of the 12 tribes of Israel as those children were born, it gives you the gospel message. Okay, maybe I'll show it to you next week or something. In Revelation, you have the same 12 names, but they're in a different order. The difference is this. In Genesis, you see the gospel uh, going to come, and in Revelation, the gospel has come. One is the promise of the, the one that's to come. May he add another. And the other is the, the fulfillment of it. So it's kind of amazing. Names in Scripture meant something. Mephibosheth. Uh, not much. Um, Thank you, Methuselah. 
Methuselah's name means when he dies it shall come. Something along those lines. You look, he died the very year of Noah's flood. So one of the two things happened. Either he was an ungodly man and he died in the flood, or, as his name seems to indicate, his name was a marker that that's how long you have, and then as soon as he died, the flood came. Don't know. But I find that kind of thing fascinating. Even the word alphabet. A and B. What's that? Just the A, alph, and yep, B. Exactly, the A and the B. Mm-hmm. Aleph, bet. That's where we get it. Does, does Latin derive from Hebrew in some places? I think it all comes back to that. Again, I believe Hebrew is the very first language, and so it all kind of stems from that. And that all comes from the Phoenician alphabet. Phoenicians, yeah. And I am going to show you some pictures of that, of the Phoenician and all of these, so it all goes back to it. I'll show you as we get going here. Um, huh? Okay. <laughs> Point being, names have meaning. Letters have meaning. The Jews, they believe that the Hebrew alphabet is holy. Why? Because by those letters, God created the world. Because as he spoke them, it came to be. And so they see their alphabet as as something holy. We see our alphabet as a bunch of letters and who cares. But... There's something more to that. If the power of life and death is in the tongue, if the power of blessings and curses is in the tongue, is it possible that there's more to that than we realize? Because words mean something. They are not just words, but they are life or death. Now again, I don't want to take that too far, like I said before, but nonetheless, there's something to that. Um, the word Yahweh, okay, yod heh vav which is basically four letters because they don't have the uh, vowels in the Hebrew. Yahweh, just one other thing I need to tell you, on the far left you see numbers. Each letter is also assigned a number. And so there's something called a numerology, and I'm not going to get into that. I think, again, that pendulum can swing too far, but I also believe there's truth to this. I'm not going to talk about it tonight outside of explain what it is and give you one example. The word Yahweh has the numeric value of 26 when you add up those four letters, Yod, He, Vav, He. You add those four up, it equals 26. It's interesting, the word love is, if you add up the letters, it's 13. Or double, love doubled is Yahweh. Okay, now you might think, well, that's a little stretch. Well, maybe it is. All I know is that it's interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the great love chapter. God's commandments are split into two parts. Love for God, love for your neighbor. Both are love, 
or love doubled. Love doubled is Yahweh. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob consist of 13 letters, and the matriarchs of them consist of 13 letters. This is stuff that the, the Hebrew rabbis pick up on. Okay? They love numerology, and they look for these, they, they see these correlations. So you're saying Abraham, Isaac, and... In, in if you take the, all three names, all the letters in those three names, the patriarchs, there's 13 letters. The matriarchs, there's 13 letters. Okay, a total of 26 letters, just like what we have uh, in the word Yahweh, his chosen people. Um, you might say it this way, the bride and the bridegroom. The total is 26. Um, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, has 13 attributes of the mercy of God. Um, 13 letters of love. Okay, again, I think you can let that pendulum swing and you can maybe find things that just coincidence. Whatever. So I don't dig into numerology, but I want you to know it's out there and that the rabbis, there are some rabbis that really dig into this stuff. And it's amazing some parallels that you see. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. I just wanted you to be aware and that's what those numbers are about. So the word Yahweh right here you see Yod, He, Vav, He. That on the top is how we read it. The bottom one's how you read it in Hebrew, because in Hebrew you read from right to left. All right? Now, and then underneath it you see it in the Paleo. So, what we see is a Yod. You know what the word for hand is? Yod. Sometimes can be pronounced Yod in Hebrew. Just like Beit is the word for door. Uh, House, Dalit is the word for door, Yod is the word for hand. What's the picture of the letter Yod? A hand. What's the meaning of the letter Yod? Hand. That's one of the meanings. Then you have a He, and the He, depending on if it's at the beginning of the letter or in the middle of the letter, I'll, I'll maybe get to that, it has different meanings, but behold. If it's at the, it means like behold. So if you take the word Yahweh, in just the meanings of the letters, it means this. Behold the nail, or behold the hand, behold the nail. Let me give you some ideas of how this works. And I just, my goal here is just to show you the depth of the Hebrew language and how amazing this is. This by no means is going to be complete, and I'm not going to go through every letter of the alphabet because then we could take a whole 15, 20-week study on this, probably a week for every letter. But, now I'd lose you by then, believe me. Uh, so here's the word Aleph. Um, it's pictured as an ox. And it means strength, authority, or first, which is what I kind of showed you before. So on your handout, you could maybe see that. Now, what you have here is, it's a derivative of the word Aloof, Aleph, Aloof. And I have it kind of spelled out there for you in Hebrew. Keep in mind, this will always go from right to left when I show you the Hebrew words. Um, here's how it's used in like Psalm 144, verse 14, that our oxen, aloof, may be well laden. Exodus 15, then the chiefs, the aloof of Edom, will be dismayed. Zechariah 12, 5, the governors, aloof, 
or literally it's Aleph. It all depends on, since remember there are no vowels in there, it just depends on pronunciation marks which were added later, so we really don't even know. That's why you don't know how, how the name Yahweh is really even supposed to be said. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people who think they know, yeah. What's that? He just breathes. Breathes, yeah. And there's good reasons for that because of the, the Aleph, it's a, a breath that goes out, which is interesting because God, I mean, like I said, we could go into weeks of this when God breathed his very essence of who he is into Adam. Just, I mean, there's so much depth to this. But anyway, um, ox, strength, first. Okay, so now that you see that letter, now we know the word bait is a picture of a house. Let me give you the word for father, ab. Okay, the word ab, father, in Hebrew is aleph, bait. Aleph means strong, first, ox, authority, right? It's a picture of the ox. House, household. So what does that word father mean? The strength or first or authority of the house. Okay? So the word father, even the letters tell you the definition of what father is. The, the authority of the house. I'm not going to give you all the details here, but uh, here's the word God. El. E-L, one of the names of God. Okay, well, what do we have? First or strong authority. And the L is the Lamed. And you see that as a staff. Okay, which is shown as the authority, the tongue. So we have the, literally if you'd kind of do it, first or strong authority. Now each one of these letters have three, four different meanings. They're all kind of related but you can kind of punch it in and you can almost define the word by looking at the letters. So God is the first or strong authority. Um, fire, esh in Hebrew. Aleph, sheen. Sheen is a picture of teeth. You'll see that on your pages. It means to consume or destroy. So in other words, fire is a strong destroyer. And I mean, I could give you literally hundreds and hundreds of words where you can define the word by looking at the letters. Now what's fascinating about this is there are some Hebrew words that we really don't know what this means, but when you go to the paleo and you just look at the things and then look at the context of the verse, you can almost define it and make sense. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, blessed or happy. Here we see this word, Aleph Shin Resh. You put those together, it would literally be something like uh, fire head resh is the place uh, when resh is placed at the end of fire. Um, sometimes you're going to have the word, and then you have another letter. So what happens is you have the word itself defined, and then the letter adds on to it. So with the word blessed or happy, you have the word esh, that X in the W looking thing, which is the aleph sheen esh. There's fire, and then you have the resh at the end. So you have fire, which is already defined. So fire, and then the added letter, the resh, is a picture of the head. Uh, as a matter of fact, the word for head in Hebrew today is rosh. 
and so you have head of fire. Um, uh, Jamie. <laughs> yes, Jamie. Which you may say, well, that's interesting, but the Bible says that he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He also says to bless somebody, he says um, to bless those who curse you, and when you do, you put burning coals on their head. Um, just things like that. So that one maybe is not as clear as some of them, but nonetheless wanted to show it to you. Love. Here's that word, achav. Three letters again. You put the letters together, you get a father's heart revealed. Because you have the word ab, the, the word aleph, or the letter aleph, and then ab. So the reason I'm showing you these is when you have that root word already in the word. The H being in the center is to reveal the heart of something. And so that, can't find it up here, there it is, the very top, the X, and then the, I don't know how to describe it, the hay, and then what looks like a mouth going that way, Pac-Man, the, the bait. Um, Ab is the first and the last letter, the H in, in the middle. And so it gets a little complicated just with that letter H. But that's about it. it. It's not too complicated outside of that. When that H is at the beginning, it simply kind of means like the. When it's in the middle, it's to reveal the, the, the very center of. And then when it's at the end, it can mean something as well. And so that's one that kind of throws a little loop in there. But anyway, so that's where it comes from. I'm glad you asked that because I missed it. The word im, aleph mem, literally would mean strong water or life giver. Or strong chaos. Or strong chaos, which is interesting because a woman can be either life giver or chaos giver. <laughs> It is true. I mean, that's what we see all throughout Scripture. So, anyway, this is just kind of giving you some ideas. Like I said, I don't want to take too much time. I'm just going to give you a few more, a couple more letters and show you some of that type of thing. Here's Bet. Now, here's what I was telling you, Jordan. You can see the different letters um, and I don't remember which is one, but you see like a proto-Canaanite one um, just to the upper, I guess, left. So you, they show you the house, and then you have the cursive just on the bottom corner of it, and then the letter today, and then all the way basically around, different ones throughout history, how it leads up to what we have to modern Hebrew today. So every letter, he goes through and shows you that. Yeah, in the book on Frank by Frank Seekins here. So, bet, as I said, means house. Uh, I'm not going to get into that too much outside of now. From here on out, what I'm going to be showing you, it'll be a little easier. These words right here. So, son, bar. So, when you have bar mitzvah, okay, the commandments for the son or whatever. So, morning, okay, uh, boker. So if you remember in Israel, those of you who went, we'd say, Boker Tov, good morning. And if you look at the word there for sun, you put those two letters together, you get 
uh, man from within the house or house man. The word for mourning, it's um, a house behind a person, almost like you're leaving for work type thing. The word blessing, uh, Baruch, Baruchata, blessed are you. Okay, uh, it comes from the word knee that's in the word already. And so knee or kneeling and um, blessing, basically, it comes from those together. Here we have camel. It means to lift up, pride, benefit, gimel does, the picture of the camel. So the word foreigner, you have the two pictures, is camel man. That's what it comes out. Proud is to lift up, strong, reveal. So basically to lift up or reveal the, the strength So I think you, you get the idea. Like I said, I don't want to go too much detail because I know this can be boring just looking at each one of them, but I, I think it's going to reveal some of the aspects of it. Um, judge. For the we're, we're Dalit here. Um, I can't even understand my own notes here, but there it is. Judge is Dan. Right there. Two letters. D-N. And together it means door, the D, the Dalit, and then action or life. So door to action is a judge. Knowledge, Dea. Door, eye to reveal. So door of the eye. Knowledge is door of the eye. Religion, dot. Dalit, Tav, is basically door and sign of or cross. So door of the sign or door of the cross is religion. The word re weep, Dama, which is the Dalit door, Mem water. Ayin is a picture of the eye, so water out of the door of the eye. That's the word weep. So tears, in essence. And just in case you're interested, here's that hey that I was telling you about before. Hey before means the. Hey at the end is what comes from. And hey in the middle is to reveal the heart of. Or the very core of. So... Uh, it's the only one that is like that. Yep. Yep. So that's why I say it's not too complicated when I'm kind of starting and explaining it. It's like, oh, this is going to be... It, it isn't. It's just like pretty simple. And by looking at this sheet, you go and look at some of those words and you can almost, you know, almost define the words. Not in all cases but in many, many of them. It's just fascinating to me. And so, even like Egyptian hieroglyphs, it's kind of the same thing. They have pictures that have meanings. That's 
you know, basically because it probably came from the Hebrew idea as well. So the pictures mean something. Um, to give you an idea of how some of this would work, tent or tabernacle, it's ochel, ochol or ochel, and it's aleph, head, hay in the middle to reveal the heart, and lamed, which is shepherd or authority. So the heart of the authority revealed is the word for tabernacle. Go into the tabernacle of God, the heart of the authority, God, is revealed. Shout or joy. You see it up there, uh, rena. Resh is head. Nun is action or life. Hey, at the end, what comes from? So, what comes out of a person of life is joy. I don't know if that one's in there or not. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at it to see. But that's something that you can look at with this sheet. Um, so these are just some more. Uh, the vav is pictures as a nail or a hook, something that secures. So the word rest that you can see there. Um, nava, noon uh, is like life. Vav is secure. Hey at the end, that which comes from. So that which comes from a life that is secure is the word for rest. Lust or desire, just without going through it all, that which comes from a strong nail or hook. When you are hooked by something, that is the word for lust or desire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Hope. Those letters, that which comes from, because it's kiva, that at the end, that which comes from being secure after the nail. The hope, kiva. Those three letters are that which comes from, that H at the end, being secure after the nail, basically. Kind of the nail in parentheses. It is very similar to rest. If you see the, the letters up there, it's very similar. Kiva, Nava. So the that which comes after is just that H at the end. Secure is the Vav. And uh, the only difference is that you had the, the Noon in rest, which is life. So that which comes from a life that is secure. In the word hope, you don't have that noon, so it's that which comes from being secure. And again, this isn't all concrete, but nonetheless you can see there's some meaning to here. Bad counsel, Zima. Oh, that's true. That which comes from weapon of chaos. Um, enlighten, an action when person of weapon, like an enemy, is revealed. Grace, 
Um, the chet is a, like a fence, to be fenced in, protected. And so the word grace is just those two words, chen, and it is like a fenced-in life or protected life. Um, refuge, that which comes after a fence. What's that? Yep, being protected, yep. Uh, I'll just do a couple more. Tet uh, for snake. Um, so we get trying to pick out some of the better ones here. Satan would be a good one to look at. Hasatan. You might hear Daniel Joseph say Hasatan. Remember, ha at the beginning means the. So what you have is Satan is teeth that twists life. So the one who twists life. The teeth of the one. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does, is he twists the word of God. Um, to seduce. That which comes after, that hay again, surrounding or twisting the eye. So you twist the eye. That which comes after your eye is twisted. Seduction. Seducing. Let's see, uh, the word yes, kin, it's like a hand open to life, open life. Um, and so basically all I do is go through the letters. I think that's enough for you to get the idea that there are, there's meaning to this. And I, I just found it fascinating and I thought I, I'm going to take a day to show you this. Because when I see that the, the Jews and they look at the Hebrew language and they say it's by these that God created things, it puts a little more depth to, the, to those letters and to the meaning. And when they named their kids and when they thought about it, that there was power in those words. And so when we see today, in some way, I just my heart just kind of, drops a little when I see kids being named really stupid names you know that even have bad meanings <laughs> because they parents think they're being funny you know yeah but you, you get what I'm saying I mean I'm sure you've all heard names like that it's sad because we should be giving names that give life because if every time we say that word, there is something about it, I don't understand the details. I'm not even going to make a doctrine out of this by any means. I'm just saying I find it fascinating. You know, our kids, I can see how every single one of them have lived up to their name. Not just their first name, but their middle name as well. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying, I can't say, I just find it fascinating that they have all lived up to the meaning of their names. That when you speak that life into them, that there's something to it. And so I just, for whatever it's worth, I think it's worth thinking about. I like the word redeem. 
uh, what comes from the mouth of the door. Jesus is the door. It's kind of neat. Uh, let's see. Uh, Yareh. Uh, very, by the way, interesting. It's very close to uh, beautiful Yareh. Um, fear is hand of the person in authority or, or hand of the strong person. So you think of your father the hand of the strong person, that you should fear God. So it's kind of interesting there. Like I said, all of these words were ones that, if you would do the whole thing, are kind of fascinating to me. And like I said, if you want that book, he has, even in the back, some of the more common ones, like half of the book is going through words, hardship, hate, hawk. Here, hawk, it means the living hook, which is interesting how they, you know, go and grab things. So it's just a fascinating thing, as I've said a number of times here already tonight, so I don't need to keep saying that. But I just think, my goodness, how in the world can we not see intelligence? And, And when we look at language even, how it just destroys evolution. You go back in time, the languages get more complex. Evolutionists can't explain the beginning of language. They can't explain why humans can speak, but animals can't. Um, Sometimes they say because an animal doesn't have a certain part that we have and so on. If they did, maybe they could speak. No, it's so much more than that. But English has been dumbed down. You go back, you know, King James English was much more complex than today's English. You go back and we see uh, Latin was more complex than English, but not as complex as the Greek. The Greek complex more than the Latin, but not as complex as the Hebrew. And language just keeps getting dumbed down, which means you go back, it becomes more complicated, more amazing. The opposite of what evolution would teach. It should get simpler, and it's gotten more complex, but instead... It's terrible today. And so even this language in so many ways is amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here are some fascinating ones too, like Egypt, trouble within the water. Here's an elephant mouth that is hand. That's a peel is the word in Hebrew for it. So those letters together, mouth that is in hand. It just, it, it describes it very well. Yeah. Dog, all heart. Isn't that interesting? Caleb. Yeah, cat. Hatul, uh, to wrap around, cover and wrap around. <laughs> the cat and hat. So anyway, um, it, what else? Another part that's interesting about the word cat 
the second part also can means to like vibrate and so you think of a cat purring so yeah so anyway uh if you don't have any questions like i said this is a little different tonight maybe not so gospel centered but at the same time just uh to give god glory and praise for just the language that i believe created the world is hebrew now you're going to hear in the secular world that it was you know hebrew came later when i don't think so as a matter of fact uh, did any of you see the um uh, golly the evidence crossing of the red sea dvd um i'd have his book um law something law i met him in minnesota research stephen law steve law patterns of evidence okay (laughs) patterns of evidence the exodus anybody see that okay you need to see that look they've also got patterns of evidence one for i think moses they've also got one that's going to show you that hebrew was the first language and i think it's by irrefutable if you just do patterns of evidence, you're going to find it. Uh, Stephen Law, I think, is one. Tim Mahoney is, yeah. Patterns of evidence is going to show you kind of exactly what I talk about with my Pharaoh's stuff. It lines up. It might sound a little different because they're going to use some different names. But Pharaoh's had different names. Um, some pharaohs had five, six different names. It was kind of like having nicknames. They would have like a birth name, and then they would have a king name, and uh, all these different times of life. Kind of, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're going to see different names than what I do in my presentation, but it lines up showing you that the Egyptian history starts around 2100 BC, not 3100 BC, and everything just falls into place. But I really recommend their stuff. Patterns of evidence, anything that they do, you will find very enjoyable and and educational. But he will show you that the Hebrew language is the first language. And I believe that to be true, have for many years. So, all right, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for... um, the depth of your word and just the the depth of literally the word that you created, I believe. Father, let us um, leave tonight, not just letting this be knowledge, but letting it reflect who you are. The depth of your love for us, the, the fact that you created this world for us, that you gave Adam the ability but also the command to name those things because you wanted us to search you out you wanted us to see your power your qualities and nature in that which you have made and so as we leave tonight and we see this creation may we just stand in awe and wonder of your power may we also stand in awe and wonder of your mercy and your grace to us that we have so often put you aside, been independent of you and your presence in us each and every day. And I just pray that you help us, Lord, not to ever walk with an independent step, but that we would depend on you in everything that we do, knowing that you are with us in very real ways 
not just some religious term, but, but you are with us. And so continue to increase in us our faith, and we just thank you for this time and the opportunity to gather. May you protect that for us. In the name of Yeshua, amen.